The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Our last morning together. I'd like to take some time to just check in, hopefully with all of you. I think there should be enough time for all of you to check in and share a little bit. And then I'd like to take some time, maybe the last 15 minutes or so, 10 minutes, and and explore uh, questions about and uh, thoughts about um, continuing this practice you know, it's, we are ending a retreat here, and as with any retreat, um, the support, the container of the retreat, really helps the practice. I mean, many of you have been describing, I think all of you have been describing how much more mindfulness there has been this week. And part of that is just simply this container, you know, showing up each day, I think. One of you mentioned the other day that, you know, your mind will go through, it's like, what do I need to do tomorrow? Oh, right, I'm going to that class. Oh, aware. You know, so just even having this kind of, um, you know, regular piece of the day to have to actually do something extra to get to uh, supports the awareness. And then the conversation in our time together, we talk about what does it mean to be mindful in daily life? We hear what other people say and then we start thinking about, you know, as, as we go through our day, we remember, oh yeah, that conversation or that conversation. It's very natural the way our minds work to kind of review our day periodically and it remembers, oh yeah, we had that conversation. Oh, aware. Hmm, I'm picking up, maybe not, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking up chocolate almonds, but something like chocolate almonds. And we think about that story and how we might be curious about the whole process of chocolate almonds or pecans or, you know, whatever we're, we're touching. <laughs> so the, the, this process of being on retreat uh, really supports the mindfulness and, and that container will go away and so uh, just wanting to kind of normalize the what happens, what unfolds and just talk about that some but let's just, let's start by just again looking at what's been happening for the last day and any of you, um, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, if possible hear from all of you so questions, two really good questions, I think. One, um, one about awareness of awareness, the kind of not sure, but maybe, you know, so there's not, not a clear, a clarity of that, but, but maybe beginning to have a sense. And so just, I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then the other about noticing thoughts and then um, uh, kind of recognizing that's a habit that it, that creates a little space, but not sure whether it's a wanting to control or uh, to, a rejection of, of the thinking and not receptive. Um, so let's see. I think I'll start with the second. Um, when you when you you check in like that and you, you recognize that you're thinking like that and then notice kind of that it's going along and that you're recognizing, oh yeah, this is a habit. 
um, there's no one uh, right or no one uh, uh, always answer of is that is that um, rejection or wanting to control or is it just curiosity? Um, what you what's what's helpful? I mean, I'm glad you're asking the question. You know, is is this is this uh, rejection? Is it wanting to control or? Or am I just like curious, wow, look at this habit. That's a question you can explore in your own mind. I mean, you, you're asking me, that's also a question you can just, oh, you know, is this, is this curiosity or is it uh, rejection? In general, and again, so, so, so there you're kind of checking your relationship. What's the relationship to, in this case, it's not the thinking itself, but what's your relationship to the noticing that it's a habit. So it's a, it's a little bit broader, a little more subtle kind of relationship that we're talking about. I mentioned in the guided meditation briefly that our attitudes are sometimes about the thing itself, sometimes about the thinking or the emotion or the body sensation or the sound. Sometimes our attitudes are more about how we're practicing Oh, I'm doing this right. I'm not doing this right. Oh, this is, this is I, I need to control this. Or th- if I'm meditating properly, this is what would be happening. And those are all attitudes. Um, and so as you notice that you uh, recognize, oh, this is a habit. Uh, and kind of, you, you, you said you labeled it. And, and it's actually fine to use that kind of sense of labeling. Um, as you label it, you, you might check in does this feel like I'm wanting... So, so when we're wanting to control or repress, there's usually some manifestation of that, either physically or mentally. It's like the, the mind contracts, pushes away, the body maybe gets a little tight, and so we can check in. Is there something like that happening? That would be a little bit of a clue to, oh, actually I'm doing that because... I don't like this thinking and I want to not be involved in it. Or is there more of a sense of a kind, a kind of ease, relaxation, openness, curiosity? Is there a kind of a sense of settling back? So I often use this very simple, like in this area of the heart I find, this is a, a kind of a seat of of the experience of awareness in a way. It's, it's a very receptive place. We think of our, our mind being up here, but, but a lot of the feeling of awareness can be felt actually in the heart. And if there's a, if there's a tightness about the awareness, often there's a kind of a feeling of pressure or constriction in the area of the heart. If there's, if there's a curiosity, often there's more of a sense of ease and openness in the area of the heart. So you can, you can kind of check into that in terms of the relationship. How, how am I with this noticing the, uh, the habit? You know, it, it, it's, it, it can get very, very, very subtle, this, uh, this idea or this sense of being aware in order to control something, being aware in order to uh, have more ease. Because being aware does create more ease. And our, our very normal habit is when something feels good, 
We want more of it. We like it. We w we're greedy for it. We, we, or we want to control or fix the things that are in the way of that. And so to some extent, this is just the natural process of our minds. As we begin to taste the benefit of our practice, the habit of mind at a subtler level wants to use that to control experience so that it, all, it feels more pleasant. And so it it's like begins to uncover just the... Uh, the deeper layers of habits in our mind. Most likely, everyone is going to have some of that uh, wanting to control, wanting to fix, that enters into their mindfulness practice, into their awareness practice. And so it's, it's not about saying, oh, I'm noticing that habit in order to control thinking. Maybe I shouldn't notice that habit. I mean, that doesn't work either. But to recognize, it's like to step back and be curious. Oh, using mindfulness in order to control, that's part of what's going on right now. And so we, we notice the kind of contraction of that. That just becomes another, another piece of what we're aware of. Um, this, um, this also brings to mind... Um, uh, I talked about kind of this basic feeling of resistance and tightness or, you know, tightness representing some kind of a relationship about how we are with experience and the ease representing kind of more the settledness of that relationship. There's so many different flavors or ways we might experience that balance of mind. I want to just name some of them because... Um, if we're looking for ease or okay, it might become as a different way entirely, you know. So I'm going to read some of these because I had to think through this, you know. What, what are the different flavors? And so I made a list for myself of the different flavors of, of wise attitude, and I want to read the ones that I've discovered. Um, so okayness, the feeling it's okay, no problem. Ease. Calm, peace. Those are, those are kind of, um, you know, different flavors of the same kind of emotion. Then, then there can be a, a different flavor. Those are kind of more emotional. And then there's more stability. You know, the mind just feels stable. It feels unshakable. That might be an experience of this balance of mind. Or... Maybe it feels more like patience or gratitude. So then we move into some kind of some of the more emotional side of things. Might might be joy or delight or happiness or love or compassion. Those are flavors of what might happen as we, we open into balance of mind. And then there might be uh, more of a side, not so much emotional, but more almost intellectual curiosity, interest in what's going on. So many, many different ways we may feel that heart that is more relaxed about it. And so those are other other things we can recognize. It's like, is the mind, when we check in or notice, oh, habit's happening. Is it a sense of curiosity or ease or compassion or peace or stability or tranquility or gratitude. I mean, there's so many different flavors it, it can have. So I noticed you, you wanted to say something, so I'm going to pause this. Then, let's see. 
And then the other part of your question was about being aware of awareness and kind of the vagueness of that. That, was, that is also, it was also my experience, especially at the beginning. I, I, I had like no clue what it meant to, to, to be aware of awareness. Um, you know, sometimes teachers would say things like, notice a sense of presence. And I was like, I have no idea what you mean. I can know that, I can know that I'm aware of something, but I have no idea what it means to be aware of presence. And then after, after I worked with Tejaniya for a while, um, I began to understand a little bit more, and it came, so I tried to, to articulate for people kind of a process this can happen with. First, it's just, you know, yeah, I know I'm aware. You know, so you know that you're aware. So that's, that's where it feels like vagueness. It's not clear to yourself how, how you know you're aware, but you know that you're aware. That's, just begin there. And, and checking into the, uh, the question, am I aware or already aware? Um, you know, sometimes people, people say, well, why bother if you're always answering yes to that question? What's the point of asking that question? But part of the point of asking that question is it begins to get the mind interested in, and what is awareness? You know, so, so it, I would encourage a little bit of kind of hanging in that space of, yeah, I know I'm aware. Not trying to figure out how you know you're aware, but just, yeah, hanging there. Yep, no, I'm aware. Okay, yep. So take, take, you know, five seconds or ten seconds to just hang there and be curious about that space itself, just knowing that you're aware. In my own experience, it, it's, it just takes the hanging there and the, and the recognition of the moment of returning. That was another key place for me of beginning to recognize what it means to be aware. You know, just like that, that difference between being lost and being aware kind of highlights the experience of awareness itself. And so that exercise, that exploration of really kind of being curious about the moment mindfulness returns and then hanging in that, oh, aware, I know I'm aware. Over time, being aware that we know that we're aware begins to clarify for us what it means. And so it's very natural that it's vague at first. It's, it's a very diffuse experience. You know, this is another, another piece, I think, around this kind of practice um, takes us to diffuse experience more quickly, perhaps, than a, a directed practice. Because when we direct our attention, we direct our attention to things we already know and things that we're comfortable being aware of. And, you know, so we pick the breath, and it's very discreet. We can, we can know the beginning of the in-breath. We can know the, the breath. We can know the ending of the in-breath. So it's, it's a very clear kind of contained experience. Something like awareness, it's not like I have a box around it. It's a very vague, almost, experience. It's, it's, it's not... 
There's not something we can point to and say, that's the awareness. It's more an understanding in a way, a stepping back and recognizing. Kind of as I described in the guided meditation, we see different ways the awareness is functioning at different times. Sometimes it feels like it's flowing between experience. Sometimes it feels like it's jumping. Sometimes it directly focuses down on something. Sometimes it's more broad. So we can kind of just get a sense of the different ways awareness works. And that gives us a little more information about it. So uh, the vagueness of it is part of what makes it harder to be with. And then the, um, the other piece that that brings to mind is part of uh, the, uh, this practice in opening to um, the receptive awareness is that we will also begin to receive vague experience. Awareness itself is not the only thing that's a vague experience. Something like spacing out or sleepiness or unease are vague experiences. It's not that we can point to unease and say that's what it is. It's kind of, it feels like it's this wash or this, this kind of, you know, watercolor that's just everywhere. It's not, it's not something that I, oh, it's like the, you know, it's not like the breath where you can say, that's the breath. So there are these vague experiences also that can be recognized as distinct experiences. I named a few of them. So sleepiness, dullness, uh, um, um, unease, um, the, the experience of, of um, you know, delight and uh, those are also, those are also um, kind of more broad experiences. They're, they're more like something that flavors the mind rather than some precise experience. And so we're also in this practice curious about not only the precise experiences but the vague experiences. And um, in my own practice, exploring the vague experience of sleepiness was probably the, the biggest doorway for me to understand how to pay attention to vague objects. So I often encourage people not to try to stop sleepiness, but be curious about that experience of sleepiness as much as possible. And it's like, okay, sleepy, yep, sleepy's happening. Because it's, it's a very common experience that can begin to point us to how to be aware of vague experience. So it's a, it's, a, it's a helpful object in many ways if we're willing to not resist it or fight it, but also not willing to give in to it. So, so, um, and, and all of that exploration about vague experience can also begin to help us understand the vague experience of awareness. And, and it, it becomes more clearly understood, although the experience itself still has a very, you know, it's like, it's like transparent. It's got a transparent quality to it. So again, it's not something we can point to and say, that's what it is. And our minds can receive this kind of vague experience. So thank you for the questions. So, um, in your description, there were there were it was kind of all about one thing, but you know the the description of 
being at work and being very focused and uh, on the content. You know, that's what you're doing. You know, and that it feels like it takes some effort, more effort than is available necessarily to kind of dial back to being with what's happening. Um, and you commented about, you know, the kind of reaching for for something and knowing that you're reaching but not having the energy to kind of do something with that, to be curious about the wanting that might be connected to the reaching and just more like, yep, this is the awareness that's available. I can know that I'm reaching um, and not do the extra to investigate or to, you know, do, do something. So um, there's a... There's a kind of a um, um, you know there are times when we do have the energy, and I think that the time you talked about the other day where you were you know really curious about the um, the the motivation for reaching and the wanting and got really curious about the wanting that probably didn't actually feel like it was a lot of energy in that moment, right it was just what was available and so the, the part of the practice here is to know what kind of energy is available for the practice. And that distinction between, you know, the kind of naturalness of the investigation around the wanting and the, wow, this is what wanting feels like, that, what, that didn't take a lot of energy in that moment. But you knew later in the day, after you'd had a long day of work, that as you reached for something, it's like, this is what I can know right now. Doing more would, it, it's, it's just not there. So, so that's fine, actually. We explore what it means to be available with the energy that's present. We, we explore, what does it mean to bring the mindfulness into this? And so carrying that into the, um, the work situation, um, yes, when we're focused on something, doing something else it's kind of like at that moment of trying to step back, to dial back. That's picking up the backpack of mindfulness. That's picking up the doing of mindfulness. And, you know, sometimes there's that capacity in that moment to, um, to be curious. And, you know, there's maybe a little bit of the interest in, the, in mindfulness. And it, that kind of happens that we, that we might step back and kind of be, be aware. But again, you know, the, the stepping back experience is a particular way that mindfulness happens sometimes. It's not the only way that it can happen. And so one thing I like to encourage uh, about this particular practice is not to have any sense of, I need to do something in order to be mindful. So that was what your mind was doing. It's kind of like, in order to be mindful, I have to step back. And what I'd like you to explore instead of that question is focusing is happening. Am I aware of this? You may not be. When we are really focused, often the mindfulness is just in there. It's like, it's like the, the concentration. I used to be a computer programmer. And... Um, I, got, I was curious about, can I be mindful while programming? You know, can I be mindful? It's, it's a, such a concentration practice, programming. I, at one point, I described it kind of like, I'm building a city in my mind, and I need to hold the 
sit, not only the city and the streets and the names of the streets and all the buildings, but every room in that building and what's in every room in that building. It's like the mind is holding this big mandala, this big, and any kind of stepping back, like the whole thing collapses. And the, 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 the mind was pretty good at holding that. And then it's like, oh, okay, I need this information. Oh, I know where that is. I can get that from there. And, oh, this, and I can get that from there. And so the... You know, holding that takes some, uh, some energy. So the mind is doing that. It's doing that ener- It's using that energy to hold that together. And anything to step back from that, it'll fall apart. And so it's not necessarily appropriate in the context of being at work to step back. And yet there's more capacity for the mindfulness to wake up in that and know that's happening than we can imagine. It's not, it's, not, it's not a feeling of stepping back. It's more of this, you know, the, the mindfulness waking up inside of it. Um, and the way that I've seen this unfold or seen the possibility of this is, you know, just recognizing the moment of mindfulness returning. So when you're in the midst of that focus... Every now and then, you might recognize, and, and you did apparently yesterday, recognize um, mindfulness because there was the idea of wanting to step back, right? You can't have that idea of wanting to step back without having mindfulness arise first. So mindfulness arose. What is it? What is it knowing as it arises? There's no need to do anything with it. So to to have the idea of, oh, need to step back in order to see, it's like it's already there. It's already arising in the middle of the concentration. Curiosity about that. So so that for me was, was how I began to explore this possibility of being aware of a more concentrated state. Um, you know, so so the the uh, the awareness arises. And again, don't try to hold on to it. Don't try to do it. It's like, oh, aware. And then keep going with whatever you're doing. You know, just, just notice that, wow, that was different. I could know that right in the middle of it and then go on and go on with, with what you're doing. Sometimes Sayadaw Utejaniya uses an analogy again about, you know, I talked about 50-50 awareness and that does create a sense of stepping back, Right? It's like 50% on the content, 50% on what we're experiencing. That's useful for, for most of our ordinary lives, you know, that kind of sense. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, 50-50, what if it's, what if it's like 60-40? And, and Syedal laughs and he says, it's not like a precise number. It's, <laughs> it's an analogy. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, there's this kind of, you know, just a sense of, some part of the attention in what we're experiencing and some part in what we're doing. And, and, um, and yet when we're really concentrated on something, the sense of the difference or the, the kind of the stepping back, the feeling of the mindfulness when we're really concentrated has a different feeling. It's not, it's not like 50% of the attention over here and 50% of, it's like, the attention is here and there's mindfulness inside of it. Uh, maybe we could say something like, you know, 95% of the attention on what we're doing and 5% knows that we're aware of it. I don't know. We could, we could put numbers on it. But, but again, it's just, it's just an analogy. 
And so when you're doing something like that, you know, concentration is, is there. It has to be to be that focused. And every now and then mindfulness will kind of come into that concentration and, and you'll know something about it. And, you know, just, just that's enough. You don't have to do anything more with it. There are times, though, that we discover um, that that level of focus can be a habit for us, let's say. You know, as I said, I was a computer programmer. I spent my life in, you know, eight hours a day really focusing on things. And I discovered that I carried that into washing vegetables. Like, I would wash vegetables and be like, I was so focused on washing vegetables. And at some point I noticed that there was quite a bit of tension about that. It's like, wait a minute, this is just vegetables, you know? This doesn't require that kind of intensity. And so sometimes that we can discover as we wake up into that kind of concentration focus that it's more, than, it's more of a habit than it is really necessary. That we're doing a little bit extra in that in that and we're using our minds in a kind of a constricted way so that's also something that I've noticed that that when we're good at that kind of focus it can get carried into situations that it's not necessary and sometimes that's uh, related to at least for me it's kind of like yeah I'm the kind of person that can really focus I get things done I, I you know people can count on me you know washing vegetables this kind of attitude is there, <laughs> out of habit almost. And so, you know, curiosity about, you know, as we're focusing, um, in times when it's not necessary, this is the kind of investigation I do if you discover you're focusing when you're washing the dishes or something. It's like, oh, you know, what's the relationship here? You know, what's the belief? What's the belief about here? And sometimes it's just habit, and it's not particularly a belief that I really need to focus to wash vegetables, but it's just habit. It's just like, oh, this is, this is the way this mind is used to working. This is what it does. And that very recognition can begin to loosen that habit in places where it's less necessary. So two, two things, um, I'll just say them now and you can all help me remember them. <laughs> so the question around, or a, a question around schedule, and uh, it sounds like you maybe found some of the schedule a little helpful here, and so a question about, is that useful to bring into my life going forward? And then um, uh, the, the recognizing that there's a lot of complexity to why we might reach for something, why we might do something. The, the chocolate almond question, you know, the qu- chocolate almond story is like the question of, you know, are we reaching for it because we need the protein? Are we reaching for it because we're habitually conditioned to want sweet in the morning? Or, you know, what, what's going on there? And there's so many there's so many different things that can come in. It's like, how do, how do we open to that? How do we see that? Um, so, uh, the, the, the structure question first. Um, if you have found it helpful to have some structure in your day around the practice, I would encourage putting some structure around, 
um, your own practice into your day. Um, maybe it's just this, it doesn't necessarily have to be you know regimented by time. Um, you know, my own life is is pretty. You know, it's got an odd schedule. Some nights I teach, and you know, when I teach at night, I don't go to sleep very early, and so I I sleep a little later in the morning. And um, you know, if I sometimes I'm on retreat, and I have to get up at you know five thirty, and uh, and so there's just a lot of variation. But what I try to do, no matter when I'm waking up, is like that's the first thing I do is I meditate. So it puts some structure into my day. It's not necessarily on a time schedule. But there is a structure there. Uh, if I have to do something, um, I may, I may, you know, try setting the alarm so that I know I can have at least, you know, forty minutes of forty-five minutes of meditation before I have to get up, so that it creates some structure. So I do find structure with the practice is useful. Finding where it fits for you is important. So it may be first thing in the morning is a good time. Um, and it may be that last thing before you go to bed is a good time. Or it might be that sometime in the middle of the day is better for you when there's a little more alertness. So you can play with that and see. Um, and then in terms of, you know, doing it all at once, an hour at one time, or doing, you know, a couple times during the day, I've played with all kinds of things. And at different times of my practice, different ones have been supported, supportive. At one point, I was, you know, sitting for a little bit shorter, maybe 35, 40 minutes, uh, three times a day. And so I would take a little time at lunch. I would sit in the morning, take a little time at lunchtime, and then I'd sit in the evening. I was never more than like, you know, six hours from sitting, and it really helped me in my day um, to kind of keep balance through the day. That, you know, continued for a little while and, and then, you know, my life got more full and I found I just was sitting longer. So at this point, generally, I sit longer. Often, often I sit an hour or more, an hour and a half in the morning. That that's, I have the time to do that often and that's what I do. If I don't have that time, I try to sit at least 35 minutes, 30, 35 minutes um, in the morning. Um, so, you know, for me now, it's, uh, it's much more fluid in terms of that, that practice, but I do pretty much sit in the morning. Um, and yet there are days that I can't, so, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get a rigidity around it. I would, not, I would encourage it not feeling like I have to, or a, you know, so that it would create a sense of self-judgment if you don't do it. But Creating some kind of a structure for yourself around the practice can be very, very helpful. But play with it. You asked about once in the morning for an hour or multiple times during the day. You might find it sometimes one is helpful, sometimes another. So, so, so playing with that. And then the other question. Oh, the, the amount of things, the number of things, the complication of why we might do something. Yes, it is vast. It is it is, uh, we are not going to be able to know all the reasons why we do something. There's just no way. Um, uh, in fact, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the conditions for why we are, you know, choosing this food over that food probably, you know, they go back to 
as you as you pointed to, you know, it goes back to what we were served as a child, you know. Uh, were we forced to eat chocolate almonds when we didn't want them? Or, you know, were we, were we forced to eat um, milk on our cereal every day, you know? And, and uh, did that create some tension in the mind? And so there's, this, there's conditions, huge number of conditions for why we are experiencing what we're experiencing. Why we are where we are in the room where we are. Why, why we are choosing to do something it's vast. The conditions of it go back basically forever. <laughs> so there's no way we're going to know all the reasons. In fact, the Buddha, in, in talking about this kind of thing, you know, this is essentially the conditioned nature of our experience, how and why our, our experience unfolds, is Part of this is the teaching of karma. The Buddha talked about that as we act, as we make a decision, that has a, a, a kind of a forward momentum. You know, if we're acting out of uh, aversion, that has implications for our future. It might have implications for the immediate next moment. It has implications for this moment. When aversion is arising, it, it's uh, got some contraction and pain in our system. But it also has a ripple effect into the future. Maybe in the next day, maybe not for years, will we experience the impact of that aversion. You know, it's a, even a simple thing. You know, we, can, we can understand this, this time dynamic around the, the unfolding of experience by reflecting on, you know, um, you know telling a lie to somebody. Um, and, you know, maybe it's a white lie and you're just trying to, you know, make sure that they're not hurt because they're not included in something and you don't want them to, to know. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so there's no particular consequence in, the, in those days except for your knowledge that you've lied, which is a consequence. Um, but then, you know, maybe three years later, that person discovers they were left out of that thing and there's an impact on that person. And then they let you know. And there, there's, there's an impact years later of that action. So we can see just how complicated, it is so complicated. And actually, the kind of recognition of like, oh my gosh, like this is, sometimes we, we open into experience and it's like the vastness of this moment is mind-blowing. And rather than in that moment trying to figure out, you know, what are all the conditions, it's more like recognize the vastness of the conditioning in that moment. That we, we are a product of this enormous set of conditions coming together. The Buddha, in talking about uh, karma, he said, if you try to understand all the workings of karma, so essentially all the conditioning that's come together to create this moment, he said, you'll go mad. There's no way to do it. And so don't try. <laughs> you don't have to try to do that. And yet there is, are some things that we can know in this moment. So we're not trying to figure out all the conditions that come together. We're looking for what's here and what's obvious to be known. So we may see, you know, we may recognize the, um, the kind of wanting around reaching for something. We may also uh, know a little bit about our state. So we may feel hunger. 
And so we may understand a little bit like, oh, actually I need some protein right now or need some food right now. Uh, or we may not. What's available to be known in this moment is all that we can really work with. And so that's where we land. It's like, okay, yes, this is what I can know. And what we explore there is, is there any contraction that's, any, any resistance, any wanting, any fear, any confusion, any, uh, uh, you know, any push-pull that, that is involved in this situation that's extra? Is there suffering here? Is there, is there tension? Is there tightness? Is there um, aversion? As we see that, you know, there may, be, there may be wanting for those chocolate almonds at the same time that there is a need for the protein. And so, uh, you know, it's like, it's not that we would necessarily stop eating the almonds in seeing the wanting, but we know the wanting. And we know the, we know the leaning, we know the, the constriction there, we know that that part's not helpful. I think I talked the other day about, you know, any kind of suffering we're experiencing has threads to, you know, wanting to take care of ourselves, and this recognition of truth in some form. So the... Um, you know, the, the mindfulness that we explore here is about trying to uh, open to and recognize the, uh, the extra part of wanting or aversion that is creating suffering for us in this moment, that is kind of tumbling forward into reinforcing that pattern, and, uh, you know, uh, we may or may not be able to stop that in that moment, but we can know it and feel into, into that. That's what we're exploring here. We, we do not have to try to, to see all of the complexity. We can't. We can't see all of the complexity. But we can see what's obvious, what's available to be known. And there's so much freedom that comes as we just explore what's obvious, you know, we, we don't have to go deeper than what's obvious. And, oh, the other piece of this, too, is, is um, as the mindfulness gets stronger, there's more clarity about what's happening. You know, so there's more, there, is a, there is a way that, you know, initially as we start, there's a certain level or layer of what we can recognize. What's obvious is kind of like the, the more gross things. It's like, you know, the, the reaction to a sound or um, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the thought about something. You know, it's kind of the, the, the things that we notice are this, the, the obvious things of our lives. And then as mindfulness gets stronger, it's like, a layer underneath that begins to be revealed. Like we, we begin to recognize perhaps that there's a little prompt in the mind or a little, there's, that we can know we're going to say something before we say it. We're not just in the reaction and knowing reaction. We actually recognize, oh, there's this little subtle kind of movement that a little clenching or tightness before I say this, and, and, and that is, is a subtler level of, 
of things that can be known, that can become obvious. We don't try to push down into that to see more subtle things. But as the mindfulness gets stronger, it begins to show us more of what's there. So we just, we just notice the obvious, keep noticing the obvious. It's like that little tapping on the scooter. As the, as the mindfulness gets stronger, as the momentum gets stronger, more is revealed. But we don't try to, we don't try to do it. And so that's a lot about the practice that I'm encouraging here is just the simple, so simple. Just notice what's obvious and, and be curious about that. And then more and more becomes available to be known. So you, you said that um, um, mindfulness, you're noticing mindfulness has, is a kind of a neutral energy and, and it seems to have a neutralizing effect on what it meets. And I would express that in, in this way. Um, and I've noticed this kind of thing too. So for example, a description of something I experienced at one point, I was noticing an unpleasant experience in my meditation and then I noticed the aversion. I noticed the aversion, and I noticed both that the unpleasant experience and the aversion was unpleasant too. So I noticed that. And then I became aware that I knew that I was averse. And that knowing, the mindfulness was neutral. So the, the knowing of unpleasant was neutral. I was stepped back into the knowing, which meant that more of the neutrality was obvious because that's what my mind was paying attention to. It's not so much that it neutralizes the object, but our, we are noticing the, uh, the neutrality of the mindfulness. So the attention is more in the mindfulness than in the object. So it feels like it neutralizes the experience. Uh, but it's more, it's kind of more that we're, and I played with this a little, I, as I recall, I've done this at some point, whether I did it at that point or not, I don't remember, but it's kind of like I could, I could, you know, it's like, okay, can I, can I notice the aversion? Who unpleasant. Can I know that I know the aversion? Neutral. You can kind of switch back and forth. It's what the attention is landing on that creates that uh, experience of neutrality. So it's... Uh, a lot of our reactivity comes because we're not able to step back and just recognize, oh, this is, this is what's going on. And so, you know, we can't hold that unpleasantness, so we react to it. So that stepping back into the mindfulness. And this is a place where I, I experienced a, a kind of, also a knowing of the, of the awareness. You know, go back to the first question we had. If there's, in particular, if something unpleasant is happening... Uh, and you're noticing the, you know, the unpleasantness of that, if you can become aware of the mindfulness, um, the experience will change because of the neutrality of mindfulness. So there will be much less of the feeling of unpleasantness. And so that can be a kind of a sign that you're more in the mindfulness or more in the awareness, that you're aware of the awareness itself, that sense of that neutrality. Um, so it's uh, the, your, the way you did the, the, the experience you describe is similar to my experience but my understanding it's not so much that it actually changes the, the, the feeling of the object it's just that our experience is different because we're noticing the neutrality of the mindfulness